I'm independent journalist Taylor Hudak, and today we welcome a very special guest who has a unique insight into how the public health agencies truly operate. He is also going to provide us with an in-depth overview of the virology and the epidemiology of monkeypox. So today we welcome Professor Christian Perrone. Professor Perrone is a medical doctor and infectiologist. He also served as the former vice president of the WHO European Advisory Group on Immunization. He has extensive experience in advising governments on how to address epidemics. Professor Perrone, during the last 15 years, served as chairman for several official communicable disease commissions. He made various public reports and recommendations for the French authorities. He also served as chairman of working groups at the French Drug Agency and also chairman of the College of French Professors of Infectious and Tropical Diseases. He is also the author of Crypto Infections. Denial, Censorship, and Suppression, The Truth About What Lies Behind Chronic Disease, which has been recently published into the English language. Professor Christian Perrone, thank you for joining me today, and it is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. Now, you are supremely qualified to speak about COVID-19, vaccines, infectious disease, as well as this new monkeypox virus. So can you explain for us your credentials and your background in the medical field? I am professor of infectious disease in the University Hospital in Paris, but during 15 years I was working uh, part-time for the Ministry of Health. Uh, I was chairman of uh, several uh, commissions uh, for uh, public health management, management of cri uh, health crisis, uh, epidemics, and so on. And I was also chairman of the official vaccine committee in France during several years, and I was vice chairman of the European a group of experts at the, the World Health Organization, the group called ETAGE, uh, during several years also. And I, I was president of the, <clears throat> the College of the French uh, <clears throat> Professors of Infectious and Tropical Diseases. So, so I could manage in the past um, uh, health crisis epidemics with uh, different governments. And I, I have an expertise in this field. So I just want to get right into the hot topic of the day, and that, of course, is this monkeypox virus and these outbreaks that are being seen in several countries throughout the world. Now, typically, we have seen outside of Africa, there have been isolated events in single countries when it comes to outbreaks of the monkeypox virus. But with the current outbreaks, it seems that this pattern seems to follow more of a simultaneous spread to multiple foreign countries, and that's quite unusual. So does this recent outbreak within multiple countries and on multiple continents have any precedent? No, and it's impossible that uh, there are occurrence of such isolated cases in uh, 10 different countries uh, on different continents. It's impossible naturally, because uh, monkeypox uh, it, uh, the pox of the monkeys. Uh, sometimes it can be it can contaminate humans. Usually the infection in humans is mild, but sometimes in some outbreaks in Africa, there were uh, mortality rate between one and three percent. Sometimes it, they say ten percent, but it seems to be lower than that. But um, and the the to transmit from a monkey to a man is possible, but it's not frequent. And from one man to another man, uh, it needs a very close contact with a prolonged period. It's not easily transmitted. So um, I, I don't understand how it's possible because we, for decades, sometimes there are small outbreaks in Africa among humans, but it's a it's it's, loc uh, it's a local outbreak. It never spreads outside outside the continents. And the, uh, so the same day, uh, there were occurrence of isolated cases among people who never traveled, and the in the French communi uh, communique of the uh, Ministry of Health, they said, uh, I don't know if it's still the case now, but at the beginning they said uh, this infection involved 
mainly men having sex with men, but I don't understand how a sexually transmitted uh, <clears throat> the, uh, route is, is possible if people are at thousands of kilometers uh, aside from one of each other. So, and they said in the same uh, communique that it was transmitted uh, mainly by the respiratory route. So, this in the same text that it's uh, sexually transmitted in the men having sex with men, but it's also uh, respiratory transmitted. So, uh, for me, it is, it is not possible. It's a, I think there are real cases, but uh, I was very surprised when I saw that, because uh, you know that uh, Bill Gates uh, has uh, given the money for to develop the vaccine against uh, different types of poxes, including the monkeypox. And he declared recently that uh, the world will have to face a pandemic with a a new virus derived from uh, smallpox. And uh, also recently, the European Medical Agency uh, had made a statement. It was at the end of the last year, 2021. Uh, they were preparing to give authorization for a new drug uh, that has not been really tested. And they are starting now in Africa test with a Pasteur Institute in Bangui, in Central Africa, to to evaluate this new drug. So for me, it's um, something that I don't understand because they announced the epidemic before, they already uh, started to develop a vaccine, a new drug, and then you have like that isolated cases in, in different countries. And what is very surprising, all these new cases appeared in countries, in rich countries, uh, there were no case, no, no new case in Africa or, or in the countries where there are a lot of monkeys. So I don't understand. I think it's it's not natural. Now I will ask you to speculate here, but what could possibly be the cause of these outbreaks? Uh, I, I think that the virus exists. I don't know if it has been modified in a lab. I, I have no idea about that. But if we come back to the natural history of natural pattern. Uh, of the clinical presentation of monkeypox in humans. It's uh, like smallpox, but you know, smallpox now ha has, has been eradicated from uh, the planet uh, thanks to the vaccine. Uh, at that time, before the vaccine, uh, smallpox uh, killed uh, one third of the patients who were contaminated. For the monkeypox in humans, I told you it's uh, one to three percent, so it's much lower. Uh, of course, three percent is hundred hundred times more than the, the mortality of COVID, but it's it's, uh, it's not a so aggressive uh, disease compared to to the classical human smallpox, which disappeared thanks to the, to the vaccine. Now, if you are contaminated, you have rapidly high grade fever, grade fatigue, and very rapidly in, uh, you have uh, you have. Uh, cutaneous vesicles everywhere, including on the face. So it's not an asymptomatic disease, you know. Uh, cases can be <clears throat> rapidly identified also in the street because you can, but these cases don't walk in the street because they are too ill, they have to stay in a bed. So I don't believe in a huge transmission because uh, <clears throat> People with this disease won't go uh, in the subway or won't go to to work because they, they will be very ill, even if they will recover after a few days. Um, and the transmission from man to man is difficult, uh, needs a very prolonged contact, very close. So, of course, there will be outbreaks, but I think it's not a good candidate to make a huge pandemic. I think it's more to to make people threaten to probably to accept a new vaccine. I don't know. Now you mentioned smallpox. So let's compare monkeypox with smallpox. How are these viruses similar in terms of virulence or disease severity and contagiousness? Uh, because it's a, the pox family of viruses. So you have the cowpox for, for the cow from which was a uh, uh, created the vaccine made by Jenner, you know, to, to eradicate the, the smallpox, because the, the vaccine virus was 
gave a mild disease in humans, so protected from the small, the human pox was a smallpox, it was called like that. Uh, so smallpox was a very dangerous disease uh, with a high rate mortality, but it disappeared uh, the, the, at the end of the, it was in at the end of the 70s, at the beginning of the 80s. There, there is no more case all around the world. And you have only two labs in the world who uh, kept the virus, one in the United States, one in Russia. And normally, officially, all the other labs uh, a long time ago uh, have destroyed their stockpiles of, uh, of the virus. And so different uh, species of men and animals have their own pox virus. And uh, so I told you about the cows, also the monkeys, they have their own virus. It's a cousin of the human virus. But it, it has been uh, observed for decades that this virus, which gives a mild disease in humans, sometimes you have some lethal cases, but they are rather rare. Um, they, they are dangerous for monkeys, but not so dangerous for humans. But they, they are close. And I probably there is a cross reaction between all of these viruses for immunity and uh, Experts in the domain said a long time ago that probably um, the smallpox uh, vaccine uh, could uh, protect uh, against the monkeypox. Yes, I just wanted to ask you about that as well. Smallpox vaccination is said to provide cross protection against the monkeypox virus, and smallpox vaccination was still practiced in most countries until the 1970s. So for those who already received a smallpox vaccine, would they be immune to monkeypox? So the, the immunity with the smallpox vaccines was not lifelong. When I was a, a child and then when I was a student, even when I, I went for my military service, I had to receive a booster doses at that time um, of the smallpox before the, the vaccine was suppressed in all, all the countries because after 10 years, uh, the, the, immune, the immune reaction was uh, uh, fading down. Um, so I, I'm not sure that people who have been vaccinated when they were uh, children or students uh, could be protected now if they are, uh, if they are uh, 50, 60, 70-year-old. Uh, that's why, uh, you remember, it was... Um, little bit more than 10 years ago when there were the threats about the terrorist attacks because people said probably some terrorists could have uh, stolen the virus from uh, labs in Russia. Or, um, it was recommended in many countries to re-vaccine, uh, to, re to make a booster dose for uh, some, uh, for the healthcare workers, for example, for people uh, <clears throat> needed for the uh, good uh, good management of the society, uh, policemen and so on. So I was, I received a booster injection a little bit more than 10 years ago uh, because they, they had not enough doses for the whole population or they they were trying to to share the doses to, to, to have, in order that the stockpile could be available for a larger amount of people, because all these vaccines are old, because now you cannot work anymore on the smallpox virus, and they have been uh, uh, kept in uh, some countries like France. Uh, but today there won't be enough of these old vaccines for the whole population. That's why uh, Bill Gates wants to make a, a new vaccine. All right, to help us better understand this virus, how in the past did monkeypox arise? And was this primarily by contact with animals or human-to-human -human transmission? The monkeypox was a virus for monkeys and uh, transmitted among monkeys' communities. But uh, sometimes, by chance, uh, a man could be contaminated by, the, by a close contact with a monkey. Sometimes in Africa, people kill monkeys to eat them, and they can contact with the body. Um, so there were cases uh, reported for decades of uh, monkeypox, in, uh, mainly in Africa and Central Africa, 
and that's known of the medical community, but it was not considered as a threat for humans since it was localized. Uh, uh, it occurred in people in close contact with monkeys. Sometimes they contaminated a few people around them who lived in very close contact in prolonged, uh, during a prolonged time with them, in the family or, and so on. But uh, we never observed uh, a large outbreak uh, coming out of the borders of a country or even in the region in a country. So what occurred a few days ago is completely new. And uh, for me, it's not natural. It is impossible to have one case in, uh, in the United States, one in Canada, one in Spain, one in Sweden, one in France and in 10 other countries the same day. So is it possible that genetic tampering may have caused this outbreak? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it's a natural virus, but just spread like that. But as you know, uh, some people uh, gave funds for the what they call the gained function of vi of animal viruses to to make them more virulent, more uh, communicable between humans. So it's something possible, but I have no data about that. I cannot pronounce myself about that today. But in my head, I say it's bizarre. <laughs> Very interesting. Now, how were previous and earlier incidents of monkeypox dealt with? Uh, there were some uh, outbreaks in Africa. It was in the uh, Congo, Central Africa, um, but they were recurrent in some uh, regions, but they were always localized. So it was not a threat for the, the, at the global level. How would you typically treat someone if they were to test positive for this virus? At the present time, there is no, uh, not a single uh, antiviral drug that has been uh, studied uh, um, correctly because some said uh, this drug could be effective on a small groups of uh, small group of patients, but there were no uh, real big study to confirm that. So. Uh, the medical community agrees that there is no uh, really uh, recommended uh, treatment, even there are some speculations about that. And what is strange is that the European Medical Agency just made a, a pre-advice in uh, at the end of 2021 to say, yes, there is a new interesting drug to treat monkeypox. At that time, there was not a single case in the world. But uh, it's, uh, the coincidence is, uh, is bizarre. What was the case fatality rate in previous monkeypox outbreaks? As far as I understand, in Western countries, it was zero among just a limited number of cases. Yes, there were not a single case in the, uh, in the Western world the countries. Uh, all the cases reported were in Africa, in, in a few numbers of countries. I think that there was a... Uh, Congo, Nigeria, Central Africa, that there, there could be some uh, some cases, but always a few number of pa patients were contaminated. And with the isolation of the patients, the, the transmission of the virus stopped. Because it's not so contagious if you isolate properly the patients. Let's talk a little bit more about how this virus is transmitted. Does it require physical contact with someone who is presenting symptoms or is it transmitted through the air? How can someone contract this illness? Virologists uh, who studied this said it's uh, uh, it may be airborne uh, transmission, uh, but also uh, it is said that some uh, fluids, uh, body fluids could be contaminated it could explain maybe the sexual transmission that was uh, cited in the first reports about the men having sex with men. I don't know what only men and not women, if it's also uh, air route, it's not clear for me, but it was written by some virologists in the world. So I'm waiting for more explanations. But uh, before this new outbreak, it was all always considered for men to get this virus from monkey and between men, uh, it needed always a close contact with a prolonged, during a prolonged period, not just uh, uh, seeing uh, a person in the street and uh, 
and being contaminated like that in, in a second, it needs to be in the same place, probably in the same uh, home, and to to stay a long time in close contact with the person which is infect, who is infected. This is another speculative question, but I think it's worth asking, and I think many people are curious about this. Is it possible that this outbreak of monkeypox in various countries is in any way related to COVID-19 vaccinations? What I've heard, but I don't have the confirmation about that. It's uh, monkeypox is usually uh, very mild, but some I, I read that just before this interview, so I didn't uh, verify the, the data. But uh, I've read an expert saying that uh, a kind of immunodeficiency induced by the COVID-19 vaccine could uh, enhance the virulence of the monkeypox. For me, at the present time, it's a speculation. I have no proof about that, but uh, it, it, it should be uh, confirmed or not. Well, now that we're on the topic of COVID-19 and the vaccines, in your expert opinion, do the COVID-19 vaccines cause immunosuppression in some patients? Uh, it has been reported in different countries. The problem is that uh, all these data are not published in the major medical journals. There is a kind of censorship and we don't know exactly the numbers. So I cannot myself say it's true or not, but uh, what we can observe now it's a, a, a rapid increase of cancers among people uh, uh, who receive the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, maybe it could be linked to immunosuppression. Uh, for example, there is a, uh, a relapse uh, in a people suffering from chronic diseases, such like autoimmune diseases. And uh, after the vaccination, I have many colleagues who tell me, and I saw myself in my consultation, that after the vaccination, uh, often there was a, a boost in, in the disease symptoms, uh, as if the patient was uh, less, uh, less immunocompetent. The symptoms of monkeypox and shingles seem very similar, to a lay person at least. And shingles is said to be possibly a, an effect or side effect of the COVID-19 vaccines. So is it possible that the COVID-19 vaccines are causing shingles-like symptoms? Uh, shingles, it's um, when, when you have varicellas, you know, the, the chicken pox, uh, usually you have it when you're a child. You keep the virus in your body for your life. And it may... Uh, come out sometimes, it's called shingles, but shingles usually are localized on the uh, part of the body, uh, on just a half, half side on the right side or the left side of the body. It's rare to have uh, disseminated uh, shingles. It, it may happen in some immunosuppressed patients. It's just the, um, the outbreak of a virus uh, which was uh, sleeping uh, in your body for decades. That's shingles. Um, for the pox viruses, they, they give also vesicles, they're, they're, but much bigger usually than the small uh, uh, vesicles from chicken pox or from shing, uh, shingles. Um, so they, they, there are some kind of similar aspects on the clinical presentation of the skin, but they are uh, very different diseases. There is a publication now that after the COVID-19 vaccine, some people do an autoimmune disease called a pemphigus or pemphigoid eruption on the skin. And it gives exactly the same vesicles that those we observe during monkeypox. So there could be a confusion between some side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine and monkeypox. Okay, very interesting to especially get clarification on this matter. Now, earlier you did mention the desktop planning exercise in March of 2021, which was about monkeypox. So is there any scientific reason that there could have been that they chose this particular virus as their new case? I mean, we saw back in October of 2019, there were simulations and pandemic preparations made for a virus eerily similar to COVID-19 just months before COVID-19 was being discussed in the media. So do you find this a little bit odd? And, and what should the public be making of this? Yes, uh, 
you, you, you made the point. It's uh, very surprising to see that in 2019 uh, there was a, an international meeting with Bill Gates and uh, uh, many important people uh, in different countries saying, oh, be, uh, you should be, uh, should be very afraid, uh, to, to be afraid of a, uh, probably a pandemic of coronavirus will occur very soon. And just a few weeks later, there was a, the start of the pandemic of coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus in China. Um, and they had already prepared the vaccination. And, uh, and now I think to, to see the same scenario, they, they, they tried to work on a new vaccine for uh, since 1919. Uh, now they, they say there is a new drug possibly effective. We don't know exactly because I didn't see the studies. And I think they are not very good. Um, they made a, uh, a planification meeting at the international level. And now suddenly cases occur all around the world the same day. So <laughs> that, 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 I'm not conspirationist, but it cannot be natural. Exactly. And I think this really speaks to the corruption within the public health industry. And that's what I also want to talk about next. And I had the great pleasure and honor of meeting you personally in Malmo, Sweden at the Northern Light Convention. And you had a really great presentation that you gave. And you expressed the opinion, with facts, of course, to substantiate this, that COVID-19 was really a pandemic of fear and a pandemic of corruption. So can you speak more on what you meant by that? Uh, because we, we know that uh, many leaders, uh, key opinion leaders in the world, uh, have a financial interest in the pharmaceutical industry. I don't criticize that if they, they keep honest, if they do their job, if they collaborate with uh, pharmaceutical companies to improve the uh, uh, development of new drugs, of new tests, uh, that's nice. But the problem is that all these links are hidden, even if they declare uh, some uh, amount on the official uh, website where you have to declare your uh, what you receive from uh, this industry. Uh, we know I, I have friends in the pharmaceutical industry at the highest level where for decades. I know that some key opinion leaders uh, receive money on uh, offshore accounts. Uh, uh, that's uh, well known in, the, in this field. Uh, so we know that they, they are under influence uh, because I saw some colleagues in France saying that in March 2020, at the beginning of the epidemic, that, for example, remdesivir was the best treatment ever seen. But honestly, the studies were not existent or very, uh, very poor. And, uh, and they said it. And after that, we discovered that it was ineffective and very toxic. So uh, it's not normal then there is not a disclosure of all the conflicts of interest. When I was chairman of my uh, Communicable Disease Commission as a High Council for Public Health, I, I wrote at that time a chart of how to manage the conflicts of interest at each meeting. If uh, one of the, the participants had conflicts of interest, he could give his advice, but then if it was a, a tough topic, he had to go out of the room he didn't participate in the final debate. He didn't participate in the vote. It was written on the public report. And when I was president, I, it, it was a strict rule. Now, when I see, I look at the uh, recent uh, advices from uh, this High Council, uh, nothing is respected. There is no vote, no, no declaration of conflicts of interest. Uh, people uh, within the group uh, publicly known to have public of interest, they declare them the, uh, themselves, they, they give the advices, they include in the group people who do not uh, build, build, uh, who are not members of the High Council. So it's, uh, the, the law is not anymore uh, respected. And, and all these people speaking uh, on the TV broadcast, uh, they, they never uh, give their conflicts of interest honestly. So, of course, it has influenced a lot of uh, people, uh, and that's a pity because... Uh, 
Why do you think there has been a change where conflicts of interest are not taken seriously or considered when it comes to decision making within these public health agencies? That's a political problem. It is accepted by many governments that uh, it's not so important not to declare the real conflicts of interest. Um, I, I was shocked by an American decision. Uh, now it, it was uh, made a few years ago for the, before the COVID crisis. They said, for example, for the vaccine manufacturers, that they won't be any more responsible for the side effects and uh, maybe the deaths due to the to, to the vaccination. Uh, that's not normal. Also, there is a, a law in the United States, officially it's not the same in Europe, uh, that uh, a member of a committee, an official committee uh, participating in official recommendations can have conflicts of interest and can stay in the committee and continue to give advices. Because in the United States, if you declare the conflict, you can do what you want. You are not attacked. You you are attacked only if you lie and you you hide your conflict. But uh, normally in France, if you have a major conflict of interest, you cannot stay in a in a group to give an official recommendation. I say, I said officially normally, but now uh, things are not going normally, and many decisions have been taken in France that were against the law, against the constitution. And uh, that's a new problem. It's, uh, it's a threat against the democracies, I think. And you have a really unique understanding and insight into all of this because you were once considered a member of the public health elite. You were once often on mainstream media in France. So tell us what happened. It happened that uh, at, at the very beginning of the disease, I understood that all the decisions were wrong. Uh, there was a problem of mask because I, I signed when I was chairman in 2010 uh, recommendations for the government how to manage a stockpile of masks. And after that, I discovered that they didn't follow the advice and they said masks are not anymore useful. I didn't know that. It was hidden all that I discovered when the epidemic uh, appeared. Now, just to clarify for everybody listening right now, at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis in early 2020, what was your position and role? Uh, I was not anymore the chairman of the, of the commission of the High Council for Public Health. I, I was still professor on infectious diseases. Uh, so uh, when the, the epidemic arrived, I was very confident. I, I, I thought that uh, the authorities will manage that uh, perfectly. And uh, But when I saw the decision, one decision after one decision, for example, the mask after that. Uh, now in France, the Minister of Health uh, banished hydroxychloroquine, uh, which was uh, free for sale in every pharmacy without prescription. Uh, it, it was blocked in uh, January 2020, before the first case of the COVID-19 uh, in France. And after that, you have the PCR tests, which were uh, fake test uh, making artificial uh, huge va uh, waves of positive tests but not waves of cases and also with this test the authorities could say oh look there are many people who die from COVID-19 but in fact they, they died of, from other causes cancer uh, myocardial infarction and so on but if they had a positive test automatically they died from COVID-19 so and after that, uh, we, we told about that previously, but the so-called vaccines uh, in uh, December 2020, because the years go rapidly now, uh, uh, I wrote a letter saying, a warning to the French people, uh, be careful, these products are not vaccines. These uh, messenger RNA techniques, it was new. Normally a vaccine, it takes 10 years to develop a new vaccine. It was developed in a few months. They injected them to pregnant women for me it's a scandal because even if you have a good vaccine properly uh, uh, evaluated it takes 10 years and to authorize in pregnant women it takes 10 more additional years of uh, follow-up to uh, for a country to recommend a vaccine in pregnant women so and uh, when i said that People said that I was a little bit foolish, but one year later we see, or one and a half year later we see that this so-called vaccine don't block transmission, 
they they don't prevent people from uh, from being ill from the COVID-19. So the media said, yes, okay, but it's it, it's preventing from severe cases. That's completely uh, uh, wrong because we see in uh, most of the countries with the high rates of vaccinations, 90% uh, of the people in intensive care units are vaccinated people. Uh, so these products are, are not useful. And, and, and the best thing when you you look at the public health uh, policy and it is to look at all the countries in the world, not to be focused on the United States or France or Italy. You look at the, all the planet and you can see that all the countries uh, where there was no vaccination or just transient periods of vaccination and they stop afterwards, the epidemic is finished. And all the countries where you have still waves and deaths are only countries where you have a huge campaigns of the, the so-called vaccination. So I consider today that these products are not vaccines, but are boosters of the virus. It, it's proven if you look at what happens around the world. Uh, it's not well accepted by some, but uh, all what I say usually is proven. I, I wrote two books in, in France about the COVID crisis. They were bestsellers. Uh, nobody could attack me in justice for because all what I say is stated with the references. Why didn't more of your colleagues in the scientific community step up and acknowledge and speak out against the fraud and corruption that has been taking place over the past two years? I think uh, in the medical uh, domain area, but also in uh, other industrial areas, uh, some key opinion leaders, not all of course, but some key opinion leaders are highly corrupted and they they give the the tone to the whole community. And after that, I, I'd say lower level uh, physicians or experts are not corrupted or at a much lower level, but they they don't want to get out the herd. You know, it's difficult to, to step out the herd because for their career, I have younger colleagues uh, in private. They say, yes, I know you are right. But if I speak out, uh, my career is finished uh, because I will be against the Ministry of Health. If you want to have a university career, you have to be supported by the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Research. Uh, I'll have against me the opinion leaders and the, the chairman of the learned societies, uh, so they, they, of the, also the agencies, they, they are afraid and they, it's more comfortable to follow the herd. Would you say that the field of science and medicine rewards conformity? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, easier for a physician and expert to follow what is recommended than to make his own opinion or to you, it's so difficult to speak out. I could do that because I had my career behind and my experience. But for a young uh, physician, uh, I don't blame him because it's uh, difficult sometimes to, to speak out. Otherwise, your career is, is, is finished. What happens to the scientists and the doctors who speak out? And what happened to you after you started to point out the fraud and corruption that was taking place? Uh, they attack much more the general practitioners, but probably they, are, uh, they have less experience and uh, uh, to, they are more easy to attack. Uh, but for, for, in fact, in France, there are a very uh, little number of doctors who followed me. Uh, some were not uh, uh, practitioners, some were experts or epidemiologic people or uh, more scientific uh, biological experts. Uh, they, I was sometimes attacked by the National Council of Physicians, but they, they never attacked me too much, probably because they know my CV and <laughs> I know everybody, um, even uh, the president of the Scientific Council at the Elysee Palace, the president who gave all the recommendations for uh, Emmanuel Macron. I know him. Uh, I knew him when he was intern. Uh, I know all these people. So I think that I embarrass them because I know all the functioning from the inside. And I can say publicly what is dysfunctioning. Uh, so I think they are a little bit afraid of me, but uh, I only say what I think. Uh, and things are not going the, the right way, I think, now.
Through your experience and understanding of the inner workings of how these public health agencies operate, what would you say are some of the fundamental problems surrounding the decision-making within the WHO, for example? Uh, the problem is that uh, in many countries, there are no sufficient public funds for research or for medicine in general. So uh, you always, you must always rely also on private funds. That's not bad uh, on a fundamental point of view, but if uh, these private funds are given to to modify your conclusions in your study and to uh, that's terrible and it happens more and more frequently. Uh, I, I, I wrote a book about Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease, which is not recognized also for military and political and, uh, reasons. Uh, now it's published in English. If, uh, it's called crypto infection. It's a hidden infection. Uh, um, I, I could see that uh, the big medical journals could write editorial saying, no, chronic Lyme disease doesn't exist. It's fake news. The tests are perfect. Uh, all the patients are cured with two weeks of antibiotic treatment. That's completely false. And they send all the patients in secretary because they don't want the recognition of the disease. So I could see the manipulation, uh, including the medical journals. And when the editors in chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, two or three of them and on the Lancet said themselves, they wrote, articles saying, oh, our journal uh, is corrupted. Many of our articles are financed and the, the results are fraudulent. It's not me who said that, the editor-in-chief editor of these journals. Uh, we, we had the confirmation with the COVID crisis with all these fraudulent uh, publications. For me, it's terrible. Uh, so, the, the editors-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine uh, after that resigned. Uh, I'm surprised to see that uh, the editor-in-chief of The Lancet, uh, after having uh, written such attacks against his own journal several years ago, is still editor-in-chief. We should ask him why he's still there uh, when he criticized a lot his own journal. But we see that all this area is not clear. and. Uh, and uh, also about uh, financial uh, influence, uh, we see that some uh, counseling uh, firms, cabinets are counseling uh, hundreds of governments in the world who take the same decision the same day. Uh, you know that in France, the Senate uh, made a recent report. It was a little bit scandal in the press uh, that, for example, a McKinsey a company uh, received a lot of money from the French government to manage uh, the COVID crisis. But I think it's not only in France, it's everywhere. And about the WHO, we all know that uh, Bill Gates and his Gavi uh, Foundation for Vaccines uh, now uh, uh, are the major sponsors of WHO, so there's not real independence. Uh, I know that because I worked inside WHO during several years. So for me, uh, the, the um, private-public uh, uh, interaction is not bad per se, but it's bad when some interests want to, to, to push uh, decisions in the wrong way wrong, not for them, but wrong for the, for the people. As you said, you worked with the WHO for several years. So what would you say is the attitude among your colleagues at the WHO? I mean, do they really care about public health or is there another motive? I, I stopped working for WHO several years ago. I, when I was working there, uh, I was in a very good relationship with all the colleagues coming from different countries. They were all very nice scientists and experts and honest people. Uh, I think the problem is not coming from them, but I think that uh, an upper level manipulation or all this. Uh, but I know that people inside WHO today are upset about what is happening, because now if you're following the, the news, uh, they want to put WHO uh, upon the, all the governments to manage the health crisis in the world and to implement uh, laws in the different countries who 
are already signing a treaty. So that's a terrible thing uh, because uh, each country must keep his independence. I'm in favor of international collaboration, but not of a just a, uh, it's like a dictatorship. It's like a dictatorship. Yes. Over the next several days, the WHO is meeting in Switzerland to advance this pandemic preparedness treaty. Do you want to elaborate further on what this pandemic treaty will do if it is implemented? Uh, the problem is now because we see that there's a pandemic of COVID-19, as a pandemic, uh, so-called pandemic of monkeypox. Uh, normally, in each country, experts should uh, remain independent to analyze uh, really the situation. Now, there will be a few guys at the head of WHO who will say in 200 countries in the world, you have to do like that. And if you don't agree, uh, our decision is uh, has a value of law in your country, so you're obliged to obey. Uh, and, and that's not acceptable. Now let's briefly shift the focus back on to COVID-19 vaccines as well as the booster shots. Can you explain for us the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines? Are they effective and are they safe in your opinion? There are no real effectiveness. So the problem is when they evaluated the vaccines, they did studies, but they avoided to have uh, placebo groups because it, it would have been too too easy to see the problems with the side effects if you, you had a control group. And the same who who were uh, uh, you know, shouting when the, there was no placebo group in some evaluation of hydroxychloroquine or other drugs. They said, no, for vaccine, it's not, uh, it's not useful. So that's not a science. Um, and then uh, when you look, some results were published, uh, you remember, uh, it was at the end of last year uh, in the British Medical Journal, um, an American uh, expert uh, wrote that she saw uh, that they, they modified some results. There were some fraudulent results in the published uh, study about one of the vaccines that is marketed now. So it, all that is official, it's published, but nobody says uh, nothing about that. Uh, and then when we saw the, so, but it was too early in a few months to see any real efficiency and to, to have a, a good idea of the side effects. But now we have um, more than one year of the follow-up. We see that it doesn't work at all because all the countries where the vaccination rates were higher, there were the worst results in terms of a uh, number of cases, number of deaths, and countries where there was no no vaccine or, for example, India was a good example. At the beginning, they had no vaccines, so they recommended the use of hydroxychloroquine, antibiotic, vitamin D, and so on. It was rather, rather good evolution. Then in uh, two or three states, probably more under influence of the lobbies, they they vaccinated a lot. It was last summer, uh, and there was a high peak of uh, epidemic and deaths. And then the, the federal government said, stop, we stop vaccination. We give ivermectin to everybody. And now the epidemic is finished. There are some cases, but there are no more deaths in India. India is uh, 1 billion and uh, 400 million uh, people. So that's uh, the best example of the negative impact of this so-called vaccination on the populations. So normally we should stop that immediately. And I am very concerned by, for example, all these women in France, there's a group of thousands of women. Uh, they created um, an association named in French, it means, where is my cycle? Because they, they have lost their menstruation cycle. Uh, you have some... Uh, women at 30 years of age uh, who had menopause, you know, no more uh, menstruations. Uh, probably there will be many cases of sterility, including probably in men, because I, I saw men with uh, pain in the testicles after the inoculation of these vaccines. Um, and another problem is the sportmen, the young people, because when an old man or woman die from cardiac problem or a stroke, they, they say, oh, no, it's the, the age, there's no relation with the vaccine. But when you see young sportmen 
uh, more than 1,000 who died in a few months on uh, football players, or tennis players, and so on. They were young, um, and, uh, and many who didn't die are not able to compete anymore in the international competition. So that's facts. Uh, if you look at what's ha happening to the pilots and the stewards and stewardesses in the planes, uh, some had uh, there are some cases of death, but of, fortunately uh, most of them uh, didn't die, but they had a cardiac problem or strokes during the flight. Uh, and I know from pilots that some planes had to land in emergency. Uh, so they say to the passengers, uh, don't worry, just a little technical problem, we're obliged to land. And uh, you have the pilot who has a, a stroke or a cardiac arrest during the flight. As, that's why you have uh, now in the United States, in France, in different countries, uh, a huge uh, number of pilots and uh, stewards and stewardesses who are uh, uh, putting uh, complaints in justice uh, because they they want to stop immediately the, the mandatory vaccination uh, among people uh, workers uh, aboard planes but some examples you know many others but uh, we see now that we should stop immediately this so-called vaccine for a disease with a mortality rate which is very very low it's a 0.03% and most of the cases are an age higher than 85 and there are treatment if an early treatment uh, which works in more than 90% of the cases if it's given uh, at the early so why not normally if you have an effective treatment a drug agency would not be authorized to uh, give a temporary use uh, of the vaccine. It's in the regulations in all the countries. But they did that uh, despite this uh, rule. Uh, and also uh, an experimental drug, because these vaccines are still in experimental phase. Uh, they have, have not finished the evaluation. So they, it's forbidden at the national levels in the international treaties to uh, to make these products mandatory, uh, it's a, it's a not authorized. So people who did that one day they will have to 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 give their reason uh, in front of tribunals. I think because that's not normal. Why do you think there was such a global push to vaccinate as many people as possible against COVID nineteen, and why was there a suppression of early treatment? Uh, but I cannot. Uh, I have a little bit an idea, but I cannot say that now because it would be. Uh, I don't want to answer this question now. But okay, I respect that completely. A lot of people in the public are curious as to whether or not the symptoms of monkeypox could be a result of COVID nineteen vaccine injury. What do you make of that? Uh, we know that COVID nineteen. A vaccine in some patients, but it's rare, can give an autoimmune reaction on the skin with vesicles that is close, uh, it looks like uh, monkeypox. But I think it's a concern for only a small uh, amount of people. After that, there's no uh, official link between the vaccination and monkeypox, but some Experts now are saying, but I, I have not the confirmation about that, so I, I don't want to give a personal opinion. I, I just I, I've learned about that uh, yesterday. Uh, some experts say that the monkeypox could be more severe in vaccinated people uh, vaccinated with uh, against COVID-19 because of some kind of immunosuppression induced by the COVID-19 vaccine. But uh, now, at the present time, for me, it's speculation. I need some confirmation. I cannot uh, make a personal opinion about that. But you think it's worth further examining? Yes, I think it should be examined because uh, some serious people are speaking about that. For people who are watching right now or maybe sent this video by a concerned loved one, should people be worried about monkeypox in contracting this virus? Honestly, monkeypox is, is not a, a big threat for the world because uh, the disease is usually mild in humans. It's uh, difficult to transmit from one human to another. It needs a 
close contact in during prolonged period. Uh, people who are ill are very rapidly symptomatic uh, with high-grade fever and uh, fatigue and, uh, and vesicles everywhere, so that they can be uh, diagnosed by people uh, outside, and they, they are not able to to run out to go to work to go in the public transportations. They, they won't go in a plane, so. Uh, so the risk of uh, uh, big dissemination for me is very low, but uh, but what is surprising now that you have isolated cases in many countries that is not natural. I think. Are you concerned that monkeypox could become the new COVID nineteen? There, they are now authorizing PCR tests to be used to test for monkeypox. We know that PCR tests are not very effective test uh, for a virus. So are you worried that we may see a repeat of what has taken place over the past two years, but with this new monkeypox virus and the new outbreaks? My opinion is, is that despite you know, some experts said uh, for two years, oh, because there's a new terrible variant of COVID-19 is emerging, everybody, everybody will die in Spain, in South Africa, in England and everywhere. And, and variant after variant, the variants were always less violent, less violent. But it's always the, the case. Uh, if you are an expert in epidemics, you know that a new virus coming against the human population is always less and less violent. So the media said always the contrary, but people are not foolish. They saw that uh, what was said on the TV was wrong because they didn't see many cases of deaths around them. Uh, so I think that um, they, it was more and more difficult to to implement new uh, violent uh, uh, recommendations against the populations only using the COVID-19 story. Uh, so I think the the monkeypox story is ideal because uh, you see seeing photos of people with big vesicles on the face, it's threatening. So it's perfect to threaten people to say the people had the image of a smallpox, which was a terrible disease in the past, and monkeypox is not the same disease, much milder. So that we can use all this confusion to create threat because I'm sure that they, what they want is to to implement lockdowns everywhere, to to stop the public transportation uh, due to this so-called pandemic of a Yes, and that's what I uh, wanted your opinion on. Are you concerned that they could, the public health agencies could create a new crisis, of course, blowing it out of proportion under the guise of a monkeypox outbreak? I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, we'll have to see what happens. I'm not sure it will be a big outbreak, but if it happened, I'm sure that they will uh, uh, use this crisis to to implement uh, uh, aggressive measures against the populations, including uh, new lockdowns, uh, new interdiction of uh, traveling and so on. The United States purchased a I think several million doses of monkeypox or smallpox vaccines. At this point, do you think that it is necessary for people to be considering receiving a monkeypox vaccine? No, there is no monkeypox vaccine. It's a smallpox vaccine. And the U.S., France, and maybe other countries have stockpiles. But uh, not enough probably for the whole population, but big stocks. Uh, but these smallpox vaccines were not well tolerated. There were some cases of encephalitis. At the time, you had 30% risk of dying from this severe disease. To have the risk of encephalitis, one case in thousands, it was acceptable. But now, with the monkeypox, which is it's not a severe disease, uh, I say that, but maybe they have modified the disease. It could appear to be more severe when I say uh, it's just the beginning. We have to... to to, to to have a little bit more for her. But at the present time, uh, with the usual pattern of monkeypox, uh, it would be completely insane to vaccinate all the, pop the whole population with a smallpox vaccine. There will be a, a, a big amount of complications, especially in the, the younger people who never received a smallpox vaccine when we were young. My, my generation, we received the vaccine several times when we were younger. So 
we are uh, we keep a, a background of immunity, but it's not the case for younger people. So it would be insane and not necessary to vaccinate the public against smallpox. Yeah, at at, at the time of today, uh, maybe if the this new virus was much more severe than was observed during decades, I could change my mind. But uh, today, uh, it would be uh, it would be foolish to do that. Another French scientist, Luc Montagnier, said that people who were vaccinated against COVID-19 would be surprised by the results of an HIV test should they take an HIV test. What is that all about? And what do you make of his assertion? He was not the only guy to say that, because if you remember last year, the Australian government uh, had made a uh, communique that uh, uh, maybe it's not with all the COVID-19 vaccine maybe it depends on the, the manufacturer, it depends on the on the virus. Uh, but uh, many Australian people vaccinated last year became positive for HIV uh, by antibodies. They were not HIV infected, but they had a positive antibody test for HIV. And it has been observed in many countries. How does that happen? That seems really concerning. The Australian government say, said officially that people vaccinated with some uh, virus of COVID-19 became positive for HIV, positive in antibodies, seropositive. That doesn't mean that they had, they were infected with the virus of AIDS. They had they developed antibodies against the HIV virus. Um, so if you remember, Montagnier uh, was the first to say that uh, two years ago. Uh, but he found that in some vaccines there were sequences of the RNA of the HIV that had been added by man in labs. When he said that, he was attacked from everywhere. But uh, it's uh, when uh, the observation of uh, people becoming positive in antibodies against HIV, it's, uh, it's something that has been recognized by the scientific community, even the Australian government spoke about that. It's not just a, a foolish idea, it's, it's true. Uh, but it doesn't mean that vaccinated people have AIDS. But now they, there are warnings, including in France and different countries. Oh, you should be uh, aware that uh, they will have an epidemic uh, of uh, immunosuppression and maybe of AIDS uh, in the near future. And they said it, it, that it was due to uh, that the young people uh, uh, had less attention when uh, having uh, sexual intercourses and so on. I'm not sure that they change so, so much, but we'll see. Is it possible that mass COVID-19 vaccination could lead to an HIV epidemic? And I don't think about an HIV epidemic, but maybe I, I'm not sure it's not confirmed, but many experts say that the HIV, no, sorry, the COVID-19 vaccine could induce some kind of immunosuppression. Uh, and the, the fact that some people injected with the vaccine developed antibodies against HIV, it's a fact, it's, it has been observed, but it doesn't mean that they have, they have been inoculated with the HIV virus. It means that they probably some sequences of RNA from the HIV has been inserted in the vaccine, uh, allowing the development of antibodies. It's a, two different concepts. Yes, and you're making that very clear. I just want to understand how would that impact one's health if they were to have these antibodies against HIV? If there is no uh, uh, sequence from HIV leading to immunosuppression, uh, I don't care about that. The problem is uh, people who have no HIV may be tested HIV positive. It could have some consequences around the family or the, the physicians or for management. But uh, it's different if the vaccine induces really immunosuppression. We should be cautious uh, when speaking about that because it was mentioned in Australia in different countries that some people receiving the vaccine became positive in antibodies for HIV, but uh, we didn't have uh, big studies in different countries to measure the exact amount or the exact proportion of vaccinated people who develop this phenomenon. Uh, I think it was not with all 
the vaccines because uh, maybe the Moderna vaccine is different from the Pfizer vaccine and from the other AstraZeneca vaccine. And also it's possible uh, that uh, the, according to the, to the virus, the, co the composition is different. So we don't know exactly. So I know we know that this phenomenon appeared, was described, but uh, I'm not, I think that it didn't, it didn't happen to in all the vaccinated people. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Is there anything else that you would like to add to this discussion or any other points that you want to leave us off with today? Uh, to, to finish, I, I would like to say that I'm rather optimistic because despite of the horrible things we had to support for to accept for two years, um, there are so many evidence coming out uh, in many countries, so many now attacks in justice about very serious problems with all the proofs that they, it will not be possible to continue all this uh, disinformation for long. Okay, well, thank you, and I appreciate your taking the time to speak with me today, and also for being so brave and really speaking out to ensure that the public has access to the truth. So once again, Professor Christian Perrone, thank you. Thank you very much, Taylor. Of course. And I want to thank you all for watching this video and for supporting The Last American Vagabond. Please make sure to share this video with your friends and your family and also post it to your social media. This really does help combat censorship and also spreads this message to a wider audience, which is very important considering people ought to know the truth about how these public health agencies truly operate and they also deserve to have a better understanding of this monkeypox virus and what these outbreaks are really all about. So again, please share this video. And also don't forget to support thelastamericanvagabond.com. Make sure you are subscribed to our various channels. And you could also follow my social media on Twitter at underscore Taylor Hudak. And you can also subscribe to my Telegram channel, Taylor Hudak News. Once again, thank you all for watching, and of course, a big thank you to today's guest, Professor Christian Perrone, for his courage and bravery in speaking out to ensure that the public has access to the truth. I'm independent journalist Taylor Hudak, and I'll see you guys next time.